Hello, I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm here to encourage you to subscribe to The Spectator's American edition. If you visit spectator.us forward slash subscribe, you can get our print and digital edition for just $7.99 a month. This means you get unlimited access to our amazing website and we'll send you a beautiful 80-page monthly magazine. You'll also have access to our mobile app. Subscribe now at spectator.us forward slash subscribe. You won't regret it. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics? The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Kate Andrews, who is the Spectator's economics correspondent, and we're going to be talking about Donald Trump's speech yesterday at CPAC. Now, Kate, uh, he started by saying, hello, CPAC, do you miss me? I'm guessing that you haven't particularly missed Donald Trump's speeches, although I did note that you were eagerly tweeting about it. Yeah, it was almost triggering. <laughs> no, I I can't say I've I've missed his speeches terribly, but it turns out that the credit CPAC definitely did. Um, that there was appetite for him to take the stage in the keynote slot at CPAC, and I mean the crowd was going absolutely wild. So they miss him. A lot of Americans miss him. He got the second highest vote share of any presidential candidate in U.S. history. The difficult thing for Donald Trump is that Joe Biden got the highest, something that he was very keen to play down again last night over and over, talking about how he believes the election was rigged, despite there not being substantial evidence for this, for these claims have been thrown out of courts. And, you know, he was he was really focused on Trumpism, on the idea that um, his four years in the Oval Office have not brought that to an end. He was doubling down on all of his policy positions from the border wall to his position on big tech. And whilst he never actually said that he was running in 2024, he made several references to it. Um, he said, I may even decide to beat them for a third time at the beginning of his speech. And at the end, he said that there would be a Republican that would make a triumphant return to the White House. I wonder who that will be. Who, who, who will that be? I wonder. I think we were supposed to think it was Donald Trump. It's a hell of a, it was a hell of a tease. <laughs> Uh, I think I wonder though, listening to it, I thought it's interesting how nothing really fundamentally has changed on the dynamics of the politics of the right in America. Mm. So the election hasn't changed much. The storming of the Capitol hasn't really changed much. Mm -hmm. Trump is still the force of the Republican Party. He still does, Trumpism still controls the Republican Party to a large extent. He's broken with a historical norm that once you are out of office, you step away. Now, perhaps that's because you've had two successful terms and your time has come to an end, so you step away, or you've lost and you step away and you make way for a new man or woman to come to the forefront. And he's completely broken with that. He doesn't think his time is done. It's very clear that he wants to keep his grip on the Republican Party. He said he's he made clear last night, actually, this was kind of news breaking. He's not starting a new party. There's speculation he might to try to get back at 
elements of the Republican Party that he thinks betrayed him. He said, no, we have the Republican Party, which I interpreted as I have the Republican Party. Mm. There was a lot of interesting I, we. Occasionally you had to say, when I say, when I say I, I mean we. we yes. It was as, him and the, if, as if him and the Republican Party were one and the same, which, you know, five years ago, there was this epic struggle, but he did take over the party so quickly. And the normal power vacuum that would happen now for an opposition party, where you'd have a battle of ideas and different politicians would compete and eventually go into the presidential primaries, Trump wants to get rid of that. He wants to stay the kingmaker and has said that he's going to play an active role in the midterms next year. He said for strong candidates, for tough Republican candidates, but again, properly interpreted as candidates that support him. Well, one of our writers, Daniel McCarthy, has just written a piece which will be going up shortly on the Spectator's US website. And his thesis is a quite a contrarian one. And it's that we, we've been saying for a long time that Trump has taken over the Republican Party. Actually, li- listening to his speech last night, you could say that the Republican Party has taken over Trump in that in some ways it was a rather conventional Republican speech. I mean, he just hit on key themes, conservative themes, and it was less of a sort of barnstorming tear down the house. If you take out the elections mm-hmm. steel stuff, it was more of a conventional Republican speech. So he's becoming a Republican more than perhaps the Republican Party is becoming a Trumpist organ. Well, I suppose so. It depends on what part of the or what time frame we're talking about for the Republican Party, because the stuff on immigration and he got really nasty last night talking about illegal migrants sort of in the the most nasty way that you can. I mean, that's pretty new. Previous Republican presidents, including George W. Bush, so as recently as the 2000s, did not take that line on immigration. The trade war stuff is also very new. Now, yes, there were some conventional Republican talking points, but I mean, I think Trump thinks he's bigger than that. There was this very interesting moment where he said that academics told him that the chant, we love you, hadn't been done to other Republican presidents. And even he, Reagan. Even Reagan, exactly. He said, oh, we, we love Reagan, right? But you didn't do it for him. There is this sense with Trump that doesn't matter. The history of the Republican Party is minor to his major. He, he really believes that he is it. He is all of it. And that came across last night. As you say, he kept going between we and I as, as if they were interchangeable. And he wants to keep it that way. But what he does do quite effectively is a sort of reductive... Uh, politics. He brings politics down to small but important issues to people. I thought it was interesting he hit the the price of gas, Mm -hmm. the price of oil going up since Biden's come in. Kids at school. Kids at school. He he, he can identify the weak points of his opponent, in this case Joe Biden, perhaps in 2024, or certainly the Democrats in 2024, and he can can hammer those points quite effectively. And that's something that, because there isn't really a Republican opposition apart from him, nobody else is doing. That's true. I mean, I think the Republican Party is still somewhat in tatters from what happened on January 6th and is in a is in a build back process. But Trump doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about what happened on the 6th. It doesn't seem he's happy to be vindicated by the Senate that he wasn't um, that he was acquitted from the House's impeachment. No reference to it. Nothing. He's moving on as if that part of history was never made. And I, you know, Trump's very he's always been very frustrating on this. He, He actually can be a very good debater. He can make really critical points that a lot of American people care about, which is why he won in 2016. Because as you say, Freddie, he was able to break down some of those cost of living issues, foreign policy issues that the public cared about. The problem is that you end up in total with like 90 minutes of rambling and bouncing around and claims about election fraud and a lot of claims about himself and how wonderful he is. And it's really difficult, I think, as sort of like your average voter or certainly your swing voter to like separate 
the legitimate points he's making from all of the show and the spectacularness of it. I'm not sure. Is that a word, spectacularness? It's probably It'll not. Do. It'll do. It's it, a Trumpy word. It's very, yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard to separate. And like, he, he clearly still has no plans to moderate his language or tone. He actually said last night to his critics and supporters, like, you haven't heard anything yet or something like that yeah. in terms of how controversial he's willing to get. I mean, it's, it's fair to say then that if you're not already in the so-called Trump cult, and you're watching that speech with fresh eyes last night, you're not going to suddenly be drawn into Trumpism. I wouldn't think so. I would, I would definitely say it was a speech designed for the supporters, but they were there. What's really interesting right now... And there's a lot of them. There are so many of them. And establishments like CPAC are giving him the keynote slot, giving him this platform. In the CPAC straw poll, he pulled at 55% of, of, in terms of um, uh, Republican voters' favorite candidate for 2024. So it would seem that there's still a lot of love and leeway for the president to continue to put forward his ideas and, and have control of the party. But I would say four years is a long time. Trump is going to face opposition. There are Republican figures, senior legitimate Republican figures, who want to move away from many aspects of the Trump years and certainly the man himself. And whilst 55%, you know, he was clearly the the runaway favorite in that CPAC poll, it wasn't 85%. It wasn't 90%. You could definitely see somebody coming forward with some new ideas and giving the president a run for his money. Well, it is interesting that because, I mean, you probably would have expected, I would have expected it to be much higher. I would have thought more like I thought 18, it was going to be higher, yeah. Um, and it is just a straw poll of delegates and, you know, it doesn't really necessarily mean anything. No, it doesn't, but, but they do do it every year. It's an institution at CPAC. It's interesting. It's an interesting straw in the wind. Yeah. But I do think what, another interesting part of it was who did, who did okay apart from Trump. And one was Ron DeSantis, which is probably down to it being in Florida. But I think he got 30%? As, as I think a, he got slightly less. It was in the 20s. But I think he's an interesting one because, as you say, CPAC was in Florida this year. So perhaps he had a bit of a home state advantage there. But he's been getting a lot of attention for his handling of the COVID crisis. A, a lot has been made in the media this week about how Florida is relatively open compared to many other parts of the U.S. And the citizens of Florida seem fairly comfortable with that. He's thought to have had a relatively good COVID crisis. And it's interesting how Florida has become, it's now where CPAC's normally in Maryland now, near Washington it's become the the kind of fulcrum of of, of Trumpism really mm-hmm. it's a, it's where this multiracial right-wing coalition can thrive and it's seen as a state which is free yeah it is and also because of the immigration patterns protect particularly Cuban Americans coming to Florida it was thought that Trump's lines about socialism and communism really resonated in Florida. So in terms of the philosophical arguments as well, and sort of the principles of the Republican Party being very much about the individual and smaller state, that really resonates in Florida. So I I agree with you, it is kind of becoming a a, a little beacon of right-wingism. But is that really totally committed to the former president? Or is that for a Republican figure? And that's what we don't know yet, whether or not this commitment to Trump is going to withstand the next four years and whether or not the Republican Party really want him to lead again or if it's you know just easy right now but if somebody else is making good arguments against the Biden administration if they might get some attention. Yes well a few people who could be the person to take over the Republican mantle in 2024 spoke in the last few days. Do you have any sense of who it's going to be? 
I think it's really difficult for the Ted Cruz's and Josh Hawley's of the world now because they position themselves as the next candidate to follow on from Donald Trump. Now that it's clear that he's not going, why would you vote for Donald Trump light if you can get the man himself? So I actually think um, despite perhaps some popularity amongst Trump supporters, if Trump puts himself forward again, it really undermines this bad tactic that some of these other politicians have used to try to get power. You know, I think the people who are going to be that anti-Trump voice, the let's move on voice, are going to be former Governor Nikki Haley, who was also the U.S. representative at at the UN. I noticed she was shrewd enough to say it was a good speech last night from Trump. So she's she's clearly realizes that it's not the time to detach herself from Trump's legacy. She's an interesting one because even when she was serving for him, she would sometimes be critical of the president. She's always walked this very interesting line of being able to be a part of the administration in a way that she sees fit, but also distance herself a bit from some of the president's more extreme comments. Something, I mean, I'm going to throw this one in there and I I don't know if he would run again. I think my bias is creeping in here because I happen to like the candidates from a slightly more libertarian perspective. But I do think Rand Paul is becoming more and more interesting. And I say that because we are in very financially dubious times in big Western countries. And Joe Biden is about to pump another $1.9 trillion in his stimulus package into the economy. There are increasing concerns about inflation, about interest rates, this economic consensus that um, it's all going to be fine seems to be coming to a bit of an end. And if something were to actually go wrong, and we don't know if it will, maybe things are smooth sailing, but something were to go wrong, people who have been talking about the debt crisis and about mass amounts of borrowing are probably going to come to the forefront as very serious candidates. And actually, the Republican Party's abandoned that platform under Donald Trump for the most part. His tax cuts, in many ways fantastic, seriously added to, to the deficit. And there are very few candidates who have been talking about this for a long time. Rand Paul's one of the few. One Lastly, one thing that we might see and that Trump threatened uh, yesterday is a sort of the purging of the last remaining never-Trumpy faction I mean, he listed them in his yeah, speech yesterday. Creepy. He went through and he's going to, they're going to take these guys out in the midterms. And the fact is, they probably will. I mean, I was particularly struck that he signaled out the warmonger yeah. Liz Cheney. I mean, if Trump wants to destroy a candidate like that, he probably can. You know, he probably can if he decides to pick on a few individuals and go for them. I think you're right. It, I found it very uncomfortable listing every single one out by name as, and, you know, basically implying that they were traitors to the party because CPAC is supposed to be this very broad tent of conservative thinkers, many of whom have different opinions, but you come together for the greater cause. And, you know, Trump just kind of threw that out the window. What I will say, though, looking forward to the midterms, is that the Republicans have a real chance to take back the Senate and even take the House. Last November's elections were bad for Donald Trump, but at least on election morning, they didn't look so bad for the GOP. They gained seats in the House. They could have kept the Senate had they not then gone and told Georgia voters that your vote doesn't matter because it's all fraudulent. You know, you could see a scenario where things look quite different if Donald Trump hadn't meddled so much. If Trump decides that the midterms are about vengeance and about going after those who voted for his impeachment, he might get rid of them, but he might do so at the peril of letting the Democrats keep the House and the Senate if they don't target the key seats to defeat the Democrats, not their own people in their own party. So you're going to have a a very complex midterm, I think, with the two parties traditionally going at each other, but also serious Republican infighting. And Donald Trump seems well up for it. So it'll be interesting to see what they prioritize, because if it continues to be all about the president, I could absolutely see him throwing away the chance to take back seats in order to target his so-called enemies. 
Kate, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Fred.